A de Havilland Buffalo is doing a stunt for the Farnborough Air Show when disaster strikes. What caused this flight to end so wrong? Welcome back to the Hard Landings Podcast, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Miranda. And I'm Christy. Hey. And not much has changed. No, we recorded yesterday, the last episode, so we don't have a whole lot to report between yesterday and today. Other than the fact that we are still disasters. I yes, feel, we are. I feel a little less disastery today. I feel 100% like a disaster. I get to meet my favorite YouTuber today, so that was pretty cool. Nick got to meet Noel Phillips. I did. Those of you who follow the travel vlogging world on YouTube... Probably no Noel Phillips. He's pretty good. I like him. Watch him pretty religiously. It was pretty neat. Got to meet him today. He was in Denver. And then that's about it. There's really nothing else has happened <laughs> since yesterday. That's it. Can't really report on anything else because I don't have anything else. So do the normal things. Check uh, out the newsletter. Send your stories. We need a lot more of those now. When do we need to, to, to give the answers to the trivia questions? We already did the ones for June, because we did that two episodes ago. Yeah. This will now be mid-July. Oh, yes. Yes. In two weeks, we will give the answers. Okay. I don't even know what they are yet, because I haven't even done the thing yet. (laughs) That's fine. You have until the end of the week. So, I don't even know what they are yet. That's cool. Wouldn't that be interesting if I didn't know an answer to one of the trivia questions? Yeah. What is the answer to this? So... Sign up for the newsletter. That's where the trivia questions go out. Answer the trivia questions wherever you please, and we will tell you whether you are right or wrong at the end of the month. Yep. Oh, by the way, it was my birthday last episode. Oh, yeah. Happy birthday last episode. Thanks. This is what happens when we don't record on the day we release. (laughs) We don't know. We only know about what's happening when we record. I turned an age. Congrats. It doesn't come out on your birthday. No, it comes out on the 4th of July. Yes. My birthday's on the 2nd, for all who care. Yes. Happy belated birthday, but also happy early birthday, because we're recording before that. (laughs) Okay. I think that's it for housekeeping. Not a whole lot else to report. What are we covering today, Nick? Today, we are covering the 1984 Farnborough Air Show Crash. Thanks to Helen for recommending this. Thanks, Helen. Going back to the UK and air show crashes. Again. And that's Helen's doing. This is the second one <laughs> in three weeks. Yes. Uh, we're not going to talk about what's happening in two weeks. Another, <laughs> there's another air show? Please tell me it's not in the UK. Is it Helen? <laughs> <laughs> this probably stems because there is a Wikipedia page that says list of air show accidents in the UK. <laughs> um, and Helen's like all of them at once. And to be fair... It's interesting stuff. It's definitely different stuff that we don't cover when we talk about commercial crashes. We also give her the platform with which to recommend many episodes in a row. Correct. So this Correct is also do. partially our fault. Correct, we do. Yes. You're not wrong, but still. Now, this accident occurred on September 4th of 1984. This was a de Havilland DHC-5D Buffalo. Buffalo. With, yes, with the tail number Charlie-Golf-Charlie-Tango-Charlie. Charlie. You so. might note... That is a Canadian tail number. That is a Canadian tail number. And the reason that's a Canadian tail number is because this was a Canadian-built aircraft, and this was being flown by the manufacturer, de Havilland. Which is Canadian. Canadia land. If you didn't know that, it's Canadian. Canadian. So, and this was a twin-engine turboprop high-wing airplane. 
and it was intended to be a small to medium-sized cargo airplane. It's mostly pretty on the small side, to be honest. But it's supposed to be a very, very capable airplane for getting in and out of, we'll call it hairy places. So off of gravel, dirt, rock, grass, and be able to get in and out, in and out of short runways. and Kind of like a PC-12. Yes, but larger. <laughs> was it a military aircraft? It was used by several militaries, but it's also not. I mean, there was quite a few private entities that used it over the years. It wasn't a super popular airplane. That said, it wasn't also an unheard of airplane. The Buffalo was kind of well known. It also has some pretty high profile accidents that happened on camera. So let's get into it. Okay. <laughs> this was, of course, an air show demonstration. I don't have the names for the crew, but there was a captain. He was male. He was 52 years old. At the time, he had 10,400 hours total, of which 1,300 were on the Buffalo. The first officer was male. He was 26 years old, so half the age. He had 3,600 hours total, of which 30 were on the Buffalo. Okay, not very captains, many. No, captain's pretty experienced. First officer's new to the Buffalo, but also the version of the Buffalo that they were showing off was kind of newer to the de Havilland line, so it was part of the whole demonstration. I mean, the Buffalo wasn't necessarily a new airplane, but... They were showing it off. At 10 a.m. local time, the pilots attended the pilot briefing for all airshow participants. So all of the pilots from the airshow were joining this briefing. And the pilots did so. They discussed the schedule of the displays for the day and the predicted weather for the day, which included surface winds from 15 knots with gusts to 28 knots, which is actually pretty high winds. Not, not undoable, but pretty high winds. But otherwise, that was pretty much the only notable weather they had. It was actually supposed to be a pretty nice day. The pilots were reminded not to fly south of the runway 25 center line. That is the edge of the flight line, mm. is the center line for runway 25. And going to the south of it would put you over the crowd area, basically. And then you get yelled at. Yes. The flying displays commenced at 1 p.m. local time. Pilots with displays early on reported that the winds were not much of an issue, actually, apart from a notable tailwind on landing sometimes. The display for the Buffalo was to be a demonstration for the stole or short takeoff and landing capabilities of the aircraft. So, quite literally, they were going to show exactly how short it could take off and how short it could land. The sequence was to be a short takeoff, a fast fly past, and then a short tactical landing. So, what do I mean by that? Okay, so the takeoff is just a short takeoff. They are then supposed to basically come back, do an opposite direction, basically fly pass really quick so that they go back to the other side and then for the landing then reset up for two five and the tactical landing has them landing just past the threshold so that's tactical landing very short but just past the threshold that way they touch down right away the pilots discussed the sequence for the display including adjustments for the wind the two crew members then entered the airplane a third person joined them in the aircraft taking the jump seat between the two pilots. He was a lawyer for the aircraft manufacturer for de Havilland. I don't know. They don't really have a whole lot more on that. I know. I see your face. <laughs> I know. Considering this is on this podcast, I feel like that was a bad decision for him to do that. That's, 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 that's a pretty fair assumption. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. It's a little weird. Congratulations. You happen to find, not to give it away, but I guess I'm going to give it away, the one and only recommendation they make. Not to have extra people in the cockpit that shouldn't be? Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler, it's also not causal. No, it's not. I I wouldn't think it would be, but I just feel like... 
of everything. Like having an extra person in the cockpit, like why? Yeah. I I mean, it's their airplane. If they want to do that, go for it, I guess. But yeah. again, it's on this podcast, so I feel like unnecessary lives were risked and probably lost. So we'll talk about it. The aircraft received engine startup clearance from ATC at 3.03 p.m. The engine startup was normal, and the crew completed their needed checklists, including all control surface and critical systems checks. They taxied to the runway, and then the air traffic controller cleared them for takeoff at 3.14 p.m. The brakes were released at 3.16 p.m. in three seconds, and the aircraft began its takeoff roll. It was the third of the de Havilland group to take off, behind the Dash 7 and the Dash 8. So there were actually three airplanes airborne for the demonstration. The Dash 8 that is not the Dash 8, or is it no, the it Dash is 8? No, it is the Dash 8. Okay. The, the Q400 Dash 8. The Q400 did not exist yet. Okay, thank you for clarifying. This was the Dash 8. Immediately after takeoff, the Buffalo carried out a steep climb to a height of 1,000 feet to show its capabilities, do the short takeoff, straight up climb basically to 1,000 feet, and then hold there. There was another reason they were doing that. It wasn't just to show it off. The landing gear was retracted during the climb, and the wing flaps were raised to 10 degrees. There was then a descending turn to the right, during which the flaps were retracted completely. The throttle was reduced slightly. The next aircraft carried out a low pass along the display line in the runway direction, the opposite direction, at a height of 250 feet above ground. And at 250 knots. So basically, the reason they climbed to 1,000 feet was also to give way to the airplane that was coming quite literally head-on at them. <laughs> As part of the display, this was planned. Not to make that sound scary, but there was another airplane coming head-on at them. It was the Dash 7, I believe. And the Dash 7 passed right underneath them and went down the flight line to the reverse direction. And that, that was planned. That was planned. And then the Buffalo then did a descending turn. The captain of the Buffalo then opted to extend the fly pass to account for the winds, so he decided to not only go past the flight line doing a nice quick fly pass, he decided to do so and continue a little distance to account for the winds so he could reset up for the approach properly. The aircraft then entered a climbing left turn to 270 degrees before reversing the bank to position for a right-hand final approach for the short landing back on runway 25. So... This is almost a teardrop turn, what they're trying to do. So he actually goes out, goes left, but then makes basically a 180-degree turn, kind of, it's more than that, actually, making the teardrop to come back down the runway. During the climbing left turn, the aircraft's speed reduced to 135 knots and the gear was lowered. The flaps were also extended to 40 degrees. This was done simultaneously by the captain and first officer, respectively, so they each took one of those two things and did them at the same time. The first officer then selected the propellers to increase, and then commenced the lowering of the ramp and the opening of the rear cargo door. This is all to show this is part of the tactical landing, too. So it's to, like, they're supposed to cross just over the threshold, and it's supposed to be part of them, like, dropping equipment in very short order, or soldiers, or whatever. Why do I feel like something goes wrong here? It doesn't have anything to do with the cargo door. Not to give it away. That, that, uh, okay. At that time, the captain reported to the air traffic controller that the aircraft was on final. This was at 3.17 p.m. The air traffic controller replied with the surface wind, which was actually procedural clearance to land, per the show rules. So they weren't explicitly told you're cleared to land. They were given the surface wind, which was 12 knots. And that's it. And that's, that's their clearance to land, per the show rules. Okay. 
Because the sequence of events that's happening in the show is going to happen anyways. So they don't really even necessarily need a clearance to land when the air traffic controller knows exactly everything that's going to happen in the show. All he's telling them is the information they need to know how to land. <laughs> and that's seen as the air traffic controller acknowledging and giving them the clearance. After the reversal of the bank, well, at 450 feet above ground, the nose suddenly seemed to dip significantly, increasing the rate of descent. The airframe suddenly shuddered. The airspeed was 85 knots at the time. The steep descent ceased momentarily before increasing once more. The aircraft then continued in a steep side-slipping maneuver, and then descending turn to the right. They passed slightly south of the runway center line. Two seconds before touchdown, the aircraft turned back toward the runway center line. The aircraft descent and turn rate reduced. The aircraft crossed the threshold and simultaneously reduced in descent rate again. Suddenly, the engine noise increased as the captain applied power. That said, none of this prevented the aircraft from very suddenly making a heavy landing on the runway. The nose gear immediately collapsed, with both wings included, also falling off of the airplane. The propellers struck the ground and disintegrated. This caused debris to fly away, which caused damage to three other aircraft. Up to 800 meters away. Yes, pretty friggin' far away. Um, it did damage to three other aircraft that were in That's the That's like half a mile. Area. Yeah, they were in the display area, as well as four cars. A flash fire started at the as the wings failed, but it quickly died out before the aircraft came to rest. So, in other words, there was fire from the wing roots, basically, as the airplane slid along the ground. But as it came to a stop, the fire actually stopped. All three on board actually escaped without injury. The whole thing was caught on camera because this was an air show. Of and not course. just any air show, it was a big one. Farnborough is one of the biggest air shows in the world. The aircraft had crashed at 3.17 p.m. and 51 seconds. The whole flight from takeoff to landing, everything I just described to you, took place in one minute and 48 seconds. It took me way longer to describe everything that happened than it took them to do this flight. The aircraft was completely destroyed. Yeah, no, it sounds like it. The, the wings fell off and the propellers disintegrated. Yes. The best way I can honestly, uh, the best thing you can do to get some perspective, because I know that I said a lot about that period of time where they're approaching landing and they're descending quickly and making turns and they're over the center line they're off of center line they're over the center line and then they flare and there's an increase in propeller speed uh, and throttle and all this and they then hit the ground hard and the best thing i can say is look this up and watch the video which i'm about to do caitlin would you like to come see just so you have some perspective on what happened i haven't even watched this it is pretty eventful i mean it all kind of happens pretty quick but you can kind of see how it all went wrong. So you see it doing very dramatic maneuvers. Mm -hmm. Was that intentional? Kind of. This was part of the technical landing, but things did not go Boom. according Ooh. to oh. plan. But things did not really go according to plan at the last second there. Is that smoke or is that something flying out of it? Some of everything. But all three actually escaped uninjured. Well, somehow the front of the airplane was okay. Yep. It just kept sliding. That was a pretty hard impact, though. I mean, it destroyed the front landing gear. Yeah, um, don't get me wrong, but I'm pretty sure the wings aren't supposed to pop off like that. Well, well it also isn't supposed to land that hard. If you land that hard, you can pretty much just assume that something's going to go wrong. The airplane's pretty capable, but it's not capable of taking a landing that hard. So is that considered a totaled airplane now? Oh, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they're not going to weld it You ain't going to fix that one. It's, it's due for scrap it's, at that point. It's it's the broken. It's not fixable. No. I see. 
Do for it's scrap. It's to totaled. Yep. Okay, so I guess that's my cue. Yep. All right, this investigation was performed by the AAIB, who did not have to travel very far, as they are, in fact, based at, uh, Barnborough? Yeah. Yep. In fact, the accident occurred at 3.18 p.m., and they were alerted at 3.20 p.m. <laughs> I'm surprised it took that long. <laughs> they weren't watching? That's when they were officially alerted. Okay. I would have been alerted with my eyes watching it happen. <laughs> 3.18 p.m. 3.17 p.m. and 51 seconds. I would have known. Okay. I, I would have been there. <laughs> okay, Nick. Okay, we might be assuming that they didn't care about the de Havilland display and therefore somebody had to tell them, but I bet the crowd going, <gasps> would have told them something was up. <laughs> they submitted this report on February 3rd, 1986, with the following message to the Secretary of State for Transport. Sir. I have the honor to submit the report by Mr. C.C. Allen, an inspector of accidents on the circumstances of the accident to de Havilland DHC-5D Buffalo Charlie Golf Charlie Tango Charlie, which occurred at the Royal Aircraft Establishment Farnborough, Hampshire on September 4th, 1984. I have the honor to be your obedient servant, G.C. Wilkinson. Yeah, that. <laughs> I still don't understand what, why they do that. Like, I, don't, I don't get it. Very dramatic and very... But formal. it's not necessary. Yeah, but also, it's all this royal... It, it's actually even more formal than I just sang it, because I'm just uh, quoting Hamilton. It's, I have the honor to be, sir, your obedient servant. Very right. obnoxiously formal. But you're not a servant. And then there's all of us these days signing emails with thanks. Or best, if you're off. Yep. Or just nothing at all. That's just, <laughs> the, that's just the best middle finger is best. Yep. Anyway, this aircraft was not equipped with, nor was it required to be equipped with, a CVR or an FDR. Yeah. That being said, as with most air shows, there were numerous eyewitnesses and photographs to be used as evidence. From these, investigators were able to determine that while positioning for an approach and stall, or short takeoff and landing, the aircraft entered a steep descending turn from which the pilot was unable to recover before impacting the ground violently. You think? Yeah. One of the first factors to be considered based on both witness reports as well as pilot reports or PIREPs was the weather, namely the winds. Surface winds were northerly between 10 and 12 knots, gusting up to 22 knots. These conditions are less than ideal for an airshow, though not unduly hazardous. More of the issue was the fact that Runway 25, aka Runway 07, had a significant crosswind component that influenced several pilots and convinced them to abandon their initial touchdown aiming point, the runway threshold, and just be okay with landing further down the runway. This was due to moderate low-level turbulence from the crosswind component as well as the tailwind component while landing on runway 25. In the hour that the accident occurred, the maximum tailwind component recorded was 6 knots, which isn't unreasonable, but again, less than ideal. Yeah. It's doable. Not great, though. Not great. Once interviewed two days after the accident, I'm assuming due to injuries... The pilot reported that while on final, he had an indicated airspeed of 85 knots and entered a steep and rapid descent that he was unable to prevent. The stall warning did not sound, and he was unable to recover by increasing engine power as he claimed to have done early on. He did all he could to minimize the impact. That interview felt less than complete to mm -hmm. investigators. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, because like, all right, you went into a descent that you say you can't come out of but there was no stall warning that how did you get there? Uh-huh. Correct. So investigators analyzed some of the video footage and found something interesting. 
On final, the aircraft yawed and rolled into a steep side-slipping descent to the right. And there was something interesting when they looked very closely at the engines. I looked for this when we just watched the video and I couldn't see it. Doesn't mean it wasn't there. The smoke coming from the engines happened to be coming from one engine more than the other. This suggests some kind of power asymmetry. Investigators examined the engines and found nothing that would have caused such a thing, so the asymmetry had to either be caused by pilot, potentially a different power setting for each engine, TBD, or by a dynamic response due to the fact that the right propeller was slightly slower than that of the left. Let's put a pin in that and come back to it in a second. The other part that investigators wanted to address was the reported increase in engine power that the pilot said he had implemented. No such increase was recorded in the audio of the BBC video tape soundtrack, nor did any eyewitness report a power increase until very shortly before impact. When he had reported increasing power earlier. Mm. Okay. This was further proven by the propeller blade angles at impact. When the power levers are moved from flight idle to full power, the gas generator takes 1.9 seconds to generate enough power to rotate the propeller at 100%. And the BBC video soundtrack showed that the first audible burst of power started 1.8 seconds before impact, not earlier in the approach as the pilot had reported. Furthermore, this suggests that not only had he not initiated full power earlier, but also that the power levers were previously at or below flight idle which is proven by the propeller blade angles that would have reached 25 degrees had they been flying above flight idle, but instead were only at 17 and 12 degrees. So he was trying to do the descent without engines? Yeah. Or less than flight idle. Let me keep going. Ooh. Furthermore, the descent rate over the last five seconds of flight went from 2,700 feet per minute to 1,800 feet per minute at the very last moment, with an average descent angle of 21 degrees, much different than the previous day's demonstration of 10 degrees, and different still from a normal stall approach of 7.5 degrees. So he came in hot. Very. Steep. Very. So investigators went back to the pilot like, what the hell? Yeah, what are you talking about? Why you do? We can see the whole thing. Like, what are you talking about? And he eventually fessed up that there is a technique used by some Buffalo display pilots of deliberately selecting reverse thrust what? from the propellers in flight to reduce airspeed more quickly before starting final approach. Nothing like, That's stupid. Nothing like creating a block of air in front of the Not like engine. creating a giant paperweight to let you go down faster. That's... That's what he did. He also begrudgingly admitted that he had utilized this technique, but he still said the loss of control was because of the failure of the right-hand propeller to return to the positive range when the power levers were moved forward past idle. He further stated that this is how the spin to the right started, and the increase of power seemed to worsen the situation, and he was finally able to reduce the severity of the impact once the right propeller finally returned to positive range. Well, if you didn't pull it back behind positive range, you wouldn't have had that issue, now would you? No. 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 The answer is no. And he probably should have gone around and done the whole thing over again. Let Give me one paragraph before we get there. Okay. I don't know if he could have recovered from that, though. Give me a paragraph before we get there. Investigators assumed he had used this unorthodox technique. That is how they stated it in the report. Before, though, it is impossible to confirm if that was, in fact, the case. He had admitted that he had not made sufficient allowance for the strong crosswind component, yeah. and investigators presumed that may have been the last straw, resulting in the aircraft being positioned too close to the runway in relation to its height for a normal stall approach. 
So the pilot moved the power levers to operate deeper in the reverse sector of the range of his aircraft to steepen the approach and in so doing created an asymmetric drag that he had not previously experienced. This theory is supported by the video showing the asymmetry and initial tailplane oscillation as well as the co-pilot reporting a shudder in the airframe. So he knew his approach was not good. Why didn't he just go around instead of using such unorthodox flying maneuvers? Well, there's a few reasons. I'm not saying they're good reasons, but there are reasons. The first of which, the effect of the crosswind during a go-around would have had a tendency to carry the aircraft towards the spectators and risked getting censured by the Flying Control Committee for doing so, aka the FCC, not to be confused with the American FCC. Yes. But I feel like if it's an emergency and you're going up... You could make a case of, like, Uh I was on an unstabilized approach, and to save myself and potentially other people around me, I had to do that, and it pushed us that way. Again, I didn't say it was a good reason. I just said it was a reason. I'm just saying that— It's not a great reason, but it still would have resulted in uh, a report, but it still would have been a better option. Reason number two. According to display regulations, a diversion was mandatory after a missed approach. If he had tried to go around, he would have had to stop his performance. Mm -hmm. Done. Boo-hoo. Again, I didn't say it was a good reason. This was the end of his performance anyway. Number three, the Buffalo has a remarkable stole performance and is capable of salvaging a potentially botched approach way better than most aircraft. So the pilot may have had overconfidence that he could have made the approach anyway. The airplane is an unbelievably capable little airplane. It can take off and land at very, very low speeds. Yeah, but even that has obviously... Limits. Has limits. Yes. And my last point... The last reason, the last you will hear from this analysis. Demonstration pilots are pressured to provide a quote-unquote polished and precise exhibition regardless of the conditions. A spectacular demonstration can attract potential customers. Furthermore, the pilot was well known at the Farnborough Air Show and this short takeoff landing was supposed to be a highlight of the air show. Boo-hoo! I'm sorry, safety comes first! Yes, he is actually a trained air show pilot. He was a very well-known airshow pilot at the time, actually. Well, and that's great for him, but... It didn't go right this time. That's all I got. Sorry, this was, uh... Short. That's okay. The last one was long. This we managed to make Miranda mad. Yep. Uh, I knew as soon as I said reverse thrush, she was going to lose it. Yep. Because, all right, if you haven't actually listened to our Lauda Flight 4 episode... One of the engines mm-hmm. accidentally. Mm-hmm. accidentally deployed in flight, and it completely crashed. Having um, an asymmetric thrust reverse and and one engine producing thrust is a very, very dangerous situation that's almost unrecoverable on most aircraft. Now, not granted, impossible, but... That was not his intention. No. But the crosswind component contributed to that. Correct. And... This airplane doesn't operate the same way that necessarily a 767 does with reverse thrust, obviously, but it's still pretty consequential. You're not supposed to do reverse thrust in flight. In the air. No. Ever. No. It's supposed to slow you down on the ground. Correct. That's the entire point of reverse thrust. Correct. And when you try to do it in flight, the reason why you're not supposed to do it is it does exactly like I said it does. It makes the plane into a paperweight. Right. This is why most aircraft are built in with a, you know, built with a built-in safe yeah, safety for that that keeps it from so doing that yeah this is not one of them <laughs> uh, nah really yeah this is not one of them and 
the my my issue is and I know they can't prove this, right? And the pilot can say all whatever, but even though he says that he pushed both of them back at the same time to positive thrust, the littlest bit off yeah, could cause the asymmetry. Yes. And if and also just one delay because engine has more power than the other or whatever. Engines sometimes are just picky and one's just not going to come back as Depends fast. on how hot it is, depends on what altitude you're at. Depends I mean, on the air coming at you. Right, depends on the wind. So the fact that he would do that, it it's so risky. I just don't understand. With, with spectators. Yes. With and spectators. And an extra person in the cockpit. Extra- Which, by the way, I found a video on YouTube that's a little bit better quality showing the accident. And it has the lawyer and the co-pilot in it. Huh? Interviewed. Oh. I don't know what they say. Also, did the, I, I realized the co-pilot was fairly young, but did he not just say anything about that? I mean, this all happened at the very last second. Yeah, I had a question about that, but I was waiting for a good sure. time to interject. Caitlin's here. Hi, guys. Okay, so can a co-pilot not look at the pilot and be like, what the f*** are you doing? Oh, no, that no, you're actually supposed to. No, most yeah. no, definitely they can. That's like the entire point of CRM. Right. So where was that this time? <clears throat> this pilot was new, for one. Two, this happened very, 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 very quickly. Very quickly. Three, this is also... Technically before CRM. An irregular operation. Yep. Valid. This is not a normal flight. Okay. CRM is still very much But you still have possible. two people in the cockpit. Yes, absolutely. And I feel like the first officer should have been like, what the hell are you doing? Especially all... if they were doing that reverse thing too. Like that. Well, in all 30 hours that the first officer had, he had accrued in the last 30 days. Not just the last 30 days, but less than that. So he was very new to the aircraft, and this is a very experienced air show pilot in this aircraft. He it's was easy to assume he knows what the hell he's doing. He really Fair. was. He was the co-pilot, and he was doing some functions, but he really wasn't actually a first officer in a first officer role. He was there more as a support pilot. Moral support. Quite frankly. He was more, yeah, he was more just a support pilot for the air show. That's all he really was. He was there to help him extend flaps and landing gear and whatnot while he had to do so many different things at once. I've done that kind of stuff for Brendan. Mm-hmm. So is he just basically like a pilot intern? Kind of. Kind of. Which He's experienced. He's got 3,600 hours, but he's not experienced on this airplane. So I see. Okay, continue. It's still sketch McGetch, my friends. We'll have more stuff to talk it's about. It's suspicious. We'll have more stuff Very to talk about suspicious. in the second half. We'll, we'll watch this video during the break, but we'll have more stuff to talk about. Pretty break. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Okay, so we just watched a video on YouTube. Um, that a we, snippet from some show or something. Uh, the narration, the research. Completely incorrect. So garbage. but <laughs> And so cringy. But that's okay. But they had the first officer and the lawyer. The co-pilot. Yes, the, the sorry, the co-pilot and the lawyer were interviewed on this show. And supposedly, I mean, in the report, there is listed as no injuries, and they said there's no injuries to the three on board. They were uninjured. But the lawyer in this clip says that he had broken, broken, ribs. broken ribs that punctured, punctured spleen, spleen and yeah. blah, blah, blah. Which, not that blah, blah, blah. That's, that's important. Yeah, it pro- I mean, the it impact is. against the seatbelt he oh, was I'm most sure. likely wearing was well, probably and, a broken And I'm not, I, although that video had a lot of misinformation, I'm going to take it from the 
mouth of the person who oh, I'm was sure. reporting I'm sure his that, own injuries. I'm That's sure that probably hurt. true. I'm sure that hurt. You watched that landing, and there's no way you didn't, didn't end up... That didn't look comfortable. There's no way you didn't end up some kind of hurt, because that was at least whiplash. So I am a little concerned that the report did not report his injuries. Correct. I guess that's more my point, is like, he's saying that he was injured, but the report didn't. Well, and maybe it's like, it wasn't so severe that they were like... No. But even then, they still usually report minor injuries. Right. Well, well I don't know. In this case, in the report, it was probably listed in the minor slash none category. Oh. Which they say, the, the, the big caveat to that, let me hear, I'm going to look. Yeah, minor slash none. Okay. But, but... <laughs> There's a sentence at the end of the history flight that says the occupants escaped without injury. One spectator was slightly injured by flying debris, though. I would think so. They said that no one in the crowd got hurt in that video, though. Yeah. See, more. So here's the thing. Here's the issue I have with shows like that. I'm sorry. This is a slight tangent. But if you're going to do a show that has narration like that over a video, get it right. Yeah. Get it right. Do your re it's not really that, not hard. that hard. Just do your research like read the report. My god, it's just not that hard. <laughs> uh, we It took me half an hour to write this thing. Yeah. It's it's readily available on the AAIB's website. Yeah, it said that one of the engines stopped working. That's not what happened. That's not what happened. I think we clarified this pretty well. One was slow to respond. That's not... But he pulled them all the way back to reverse thrust right. and then tried to pull them back to positive This thrust. was pilot error tied with a slow response from the engine. The slow response from the engine isn't necessarily unnatural. Sometimes that just happens. Especially with a crosswind. A crosswind and... A tailwind. The insane attitude they were at and with... the. Uh, there's so many factors to that. There's so many reasons that that happens. It's also a turboprop. Turboprops are just slow to respond. That is their whole shtick. You increase the throttle and it takes about three to four seconds for it to also increase to that same amount. And guess what? They increased the throttle 1.8 seconds before impact. Right, which isn't going to do anything. No. <laughs> so point behind that is when you watch stuff like that, please take it with a grain of salt. Absolutely. Because, yeah, it's probably like the plane all uh, crashed. Yes. Mm-hmm. Was that exactly what happened that caused it to crash? No. Right. Which is why you should listen to our podcast. <laughs> now, that's not to say that we get everything 100% correct. 100% no. no. And people have uh, corrected us before. And we appreciate it. But in this instance, it's pretty safe to say that there was definitely a big... Pilot error was a big factor in this. <laughs> One might say a causal factor. Yes. So let's go through the findings, and then we'll do the rest. There's not very many of these. They found that the aircraft's display sequence had been approved by its manufacturer and by the Farnborough Air Display Flying Control Committee. In the right circumstances, this would have been a very executable maneuver. Yeah, and actually there was nothing in particular that was, whoa, about well, this maneuver. And maybe They were doing a short takeoff, a fly past, and a short landing. That is, like, don't get me wrong, like, it's cool to see this airplane do such short takeoffs and landings, but it's not doing, like, big, crazy aerobatics or anything so it's not like this was intent. Like this, th- this was probably the last thing on their mind when they saw what they were going to be doing as part of their display. They were like, "Oh, cool, check," because they've got way more dangerous maneuvers happening by other aircraft. We're not doing any Dagmar crest stunts up in here. No. Did I miss something? Was there a reason he decided to pull the throttles back to reverse thrust to descend quicker because he was way too high? He needed to do his steep descent, but he was higher than he intended, probably because he had a tailwind. And so he, while in theory he was trying to account for that, he really hadn't. 
<laughs> By the time they actually got to their final approach, he was too close. He was too high, and he had to counteract that. And previ so he previous pilots that day had just decided, okay, well, I'm not going to land exactly on the threshold. Oh, that's so right. They you went said further. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he was trying to do his threshold landing, and it didn't. And so he ended up approaching at a pitch of 21 degrees. Yes. Okay. When he had practiced it at 10 and normal stoles are done at seven and a half. Okay. So now I get it. He's now way, way, way outside of his envelope. Okay. I was like, he didn't just decide to do this just because, right? Like, no, but that should have been when he realized he was that high. He should have either. he was going to have to do it. That's when he should have bailed out of the whole thing. He yeah. should have either bailed or he should have just accepted that he's not going to land on the threshold. Big whoop. You're still going to be able to stop in a very short order. That's the whole just stick of this airplane. by the threshold. Right. Yeah. It wouldn't have been by the threshold. It might it's have been further down the It's still going to be impressive. Yeah. It wouldn't have ended that from being impressive. <sighs> Other Instead. pilots did it a minute before you. Right. So... So, yeah. I don't know if it was a minute. I'm being hyperbolic. A minute before they landed, or they took off, maybe. Don't know. Now it's probably further than that, longer than that. But anyways. They found that there was no evidence could be found of any serious in-flight malfunction of the aircraft's flight or engine and propellers control systems. However, it is probable that use of the aircraft's flight controls outside the tested flight regime and deferring response characteristics of the two propeller control systems caused the commander, or the captain, a temporary handling problem. No, really. Really? When you went outside of what the airplane is designated and capable of doing. Well, it not necessarily what it was designated and capable of doing, but outside of its tested flight envelope. Right. Outside of its characteristics. That it was known to have had. That mm -hmm. doesn't mean that he couldn't have done it. And it was specifically pointed out in the report that pilots like these often are able to do things with this aircraft that it's not technically rated to do, but it, it is still technically capable of. It's risky, but it's a known risk that they take. But on this day, I would say they found that limit. <laughs> they found the line. Uh, yeah, I'd say yeah. so. That I, went too far. You should never pull an airplane into reverse thrust in the middle of flight ever. I mean, if you need to do, like, if you're going to need to lose altitude, do a, do a side slip or something. I don't know. Which is right. what unintentionally ended up happening. Yes, but intentionally do a side slip, right? Like, we've done that with Brendan when we've been too high and we've landed somewhere. Like, that's completely normal. Right. Right? Should you do it with the crosswind or a tailwind? Probably not. But, I mean, that's that's your call as a pilot. But pushing everything into reverse thrust, that's, I feel like that's just being, making Irresponsible? a very poor decision. Yeah. I mean, a side slip is still doable in a crosswind, but not in a tailwind. But yeah, they shouldn't have done any of this in, with a solid tailwind. Continuing. Found that taken on its own, this handling problem should not have been so serious as to cause an accident at the hands of an experienced display pilot, such as the commander, captain, had he elected to initiate an overshoot or a go-around at a, a sufficiently early stage. Basically, if he had just decided to go around. Because he is an experienced pilot, and he should have recognized that. Yeah. He's probably done it before. Should have done it before. I mean, this is... Uh, so, what we can say about this, and we'll, we'll get there, but... Poor judgment in a moment. He probably has pretty good judgment most of the time, which is why he's a well-known airshow pilot and why he's usually ca very capable of doing these things. This was poor judgment in one moment, and it only took one moment for this to go wrong because it happens very quickly. I feel like he got overly cocky 
right? He got a little overconfident. We've in it. we've talked about pilots like this before, where they have a lot of hours and they've done this for a really long time. It the last air show that we covered, right? Mm-hmm. Like you do this for a while and you're like, yeah, you know, what? I know exactly what to do in this moment and I, I can do it. And you're super confident in it, but you put the airplane into a very not safe situation and you can't recover from it. What astonishes me is in the the little video we watched, the lawyer says in it that the captain said the controls aren't responding and it sounds like he's backing up the the captain and maybe he did say that but the engine was just slow to respond nothing more than that it wasn't that it had failed or anything it was just slow to respond naturally and it's amazing to me that the lawyer is willing and able and allowed to make such statements when he is the lawyer for the manufacturer yeah and what the captain was trying to do was say it was the airplane's fault, but the manufacturer eventually got from the report that it wasn't yeah. the airplane's it was fault. The pilot's fault. So I'm amazed that the lawyer had anything to say about this. I mean, like I know that like he was present. Said, I know that he was on the airplane, but I feel like just like you said, right? Like the captain probably thought originally that it was the plane. Like, the plane wasn't responding. Sure, sure, sure. In that moment. I mean, because, again, it's in a split second, it's going to be... There's not going to be much you're going to remember from that because it happened so fast. Yeah. And, you know, you get things wrong. I mean, witness statements are always actually a lot less reliable than just factual information. And so it's just one of those things where it's like, okay, yeah, I understand how all those things might have happened, how you might perceive it, and it's not it's not discounting what you perceived. It's just saying that ultimately... What you perceived was because of the natural delay in the engine's response, and that was a result of poor judgment. Yeah, like you put the airplane in that situation. Right. It would not have been an issue if you did not put the plane in an unstabilized situation. Right. So, two more findings. If on the combination of adverse cross and downwind components, the pressure to complete the display sequence and probably a transitory handling problem were sufficient to cause the captain to misjudge the aircraft's final approach to the extent that his aircraft contacted the runway at an excessive rate of descent. All these series of things that just kind of compounded and the captain misperceived the way he could make the approach. Got a little overconfident in it. And external pressure, I'm sure, was part of that too. Yeah. De Havilland, I'm sure, was present because that's... So for those of you that don't know, every year there's one of two air shows. Paris Air Show or Farnborough. The Paris Air Show just finished this last week. It was a five-day event. And the... So you either have one or the other, and they're both very, very big air shows, equally very big air shows. They do not ever happen on the same year because... They're huge. They're huge, and all of the manufacturers show up to both. Both air shows have their own unique things, though, where the Paris Air Show is more, say, to demonstrate commercial aircraft and business aircraft. The Farnborough Air Show is more for historic aircraft and military aircraft, but also all of the commercial manufacturers show up. Yeah. Didn't last year Boeing do a demonstration? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do. They always do. I mean, the commercial manufacturers, these manufacturers for large airline-type aircraft, will always show up to both events, do their demonstrations as well. But on the side, there's other unique things about both shows. They're both equally very large, though. The other big thing that happens at each air show, though more prominently at the Paris Air Show, are aircraft orders. Farnborough still happens. Still happens a lot. Yes. Every year, the airlines kind of wait to put in their big giant insane news-making orders. Which we can talk about more in the post-episode, because, wow. Yeah. Orders were made. Yes, they were. And there's clear differences, too. 
talk about that in the post episode. But yeah, so the Farnborough Air Show is also very big. So de Havilland being a actually at the time very large aircraft manufacturer was, I'm sure, very present. This was part of their display. That's why they had their the manufacturer's lawyer on site. Like the manufacturer was on site because I'm sure they were selling to different entities, different companies and entities, and they were displaying the aircraft. So that's why there was a lot of pressure, I'm sure, to finish this maneuver properly. And then it didn't go well. They found that although it is impracticable to guard against every possible hazard resulting from an aircraft accident at a flying display, the organizers had taken all reasonable precautions to minimize the associated risk. They actually didn't find any fault in the show organizers at Farnborough. They were so experienced in this, and believe me, they are, because, again, one of the biggest air shows in the world and has been for a very long time. They're very, very, very experienced when it comes to air shows. They know how to do it, and they know how to prevent things from going wrong. And like they said in this finding, it's hard to prevent every single hazard. So the air show did everything within their capabilities correctly. They had given every precaution to the pilots and held the pilot briefings, and they were giving them all the weather throughout their entire display. They were telling them everything they needed to know up until the display. They had a bunch of rules in place. They were very clear about their regulations, their rules, the procedures, when to abandon, everything. The, the, the air show really has nothing to do with this accident at all. It was, unfortunately, the, the captain, pretty much. Well, and, I mean, part of the safety thing was, like, if you can't do the maneuver, you have to back out of it. Yep. Like, And that's really for the safety of not just the people watching, but for the pilots. Yep, absolutely. That way, you know... Safety of everybody. Yeah, that way, like... Yes, you're doing this, but if it ends up being unstabilized and you have to back out of it, it's best for you to just stop. Yep. Right? I, 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 it sucks that you can't do the maneuver you want to do, but it's safer for everybody if you just don't do it. Yep. So that's the findings. The cause. Mm. Verbatim from the report. That is it. The accident resulted from an error of judgment by the aircraft commander. Period. Unfavorable weather conditions, a transitory handling problem whilst flying outside the tested flight regime, and the pressure on the commander to complete his flying sequence were probably contributing factors. Kind of an odd way of putting it, but yes. They're saying that there's all these external factors that made it worse, but it's the captain's fault. Yeah. They were very clear about that in that very first sentence, which is just a single line. An error, An error in judgment by the captain. And again... He actually probably has pretty good judgment most of the time. He's done so many air shows, and he's done a very good job of it. He's well-known because of this, and that's why he was hired to do this. But Overconfidence is an issue. And in this moment, which again, it only takes a moment, because in an air show, everything happens very, very, very quickly, and you're doing maneuvers outside of normal maneuvers, normal operating maneuvers, that's when things can go very seriously wrong very, very quickly, and it, it literally only takes a second. And that's pretty much what happened. That's pretty much exactly what happened. All right, one single safety recommendation. We already talked about it in the first half, but we'll read it out. Restate it anyway, Nick. It is recommended that organizers of air displays ensure that only the minimum safe number of operating crew be carried on board those aircraft taking part in that display, which are to undertake other than routine maneuvers, such as would be judged acceptable in normal passenger carrying operations. So just have the minimal crew on board. The two flight crew would have been it. That, so that's it. That's, the, that's their whole recommendation. And to be fair, the reason why that's their only recommendation is because that is a safety thing. When you have an accident, obviously this lawyer, he ended up a little bit injured, but he, and that could have been avoided. It could have been worse for him as well. And 
their statement there is just saying we need to have as few people in danger as possible. Right. In the aircraft. It, only the minimum required operating crew needs to be on the aircraft when doing these demonstrations. And that's a requirement at all air shows. That's just how it is these days. And there's big reasons for that, obviously. But it could have been worse, and they recognize that. But beyond that, what else could they recommend? It was an error in judgment. Yeah. The aircraft wasn't necessarily having an issue. It wasn't incapable of doing crazy maneuvers. I recommend that demonstration pilots don't fly outside the tested safety envelope. And that's fair. Most aircraft won't in an air show, but they are going to operate outside of their normal <laughs> operating area. Which is fine, but don't fly outside the tested flight envelope. Yeah. At the air show in Paris just last week, there are some phenomenally spectacular videos of the 777X doing a nearly vertical departure. And it is... Which I hope to God they did. Yes, they inside practiced. Inside the practice flight envelope. Well, and they did. They practiced and tested this before because it is part of the airplane's capabilities and that's what they're demonstrating. The demonstration by the 777X was spectacular, not to go on a little tangent. What's hard to fathom about that is just how large that aircraft is. It's massive. The demonstration that they put on is incredible because that airplane is huge, truly enormous. It, it's staggering. It doesn't look very big in the display, but if you actually put somebody next to that airplane, you look at the pictures of the people next to the airplane. Holy crap, that's a big airplane to be making that maneuver. It's pretty incredible. Hashtag Nick is a nerd alert. I am. <laughs> I am. Unabashedly so. Anywho. All right, friendos. That's pretty much it. That, that's yes. a foreign, foreign... Caitlin question. Okay, go. Does the captain still have his pilot's license? Don't know, but we I We don't actually, have his name. Yeah, we don't have his name, and I actually I have no idea. Can we assume no? Actually, I, I wouldn't... He would have gotten it revoked for that. He may have phone so. number. He may have to go through some retraining. Yeah. <laughs> but he probably kept it. It takes a really big mess up to get that yanked. I and think. while this was a pretty big mess up, this was... In the grand scheme of things, could have been worse. Gotcha. And okay. he still has demonstrated very good piloting skills in the past, so it's not... While he had a, an error in judgment in this instance, I don't necessarily think that's necessarily just the single grounds to revoke the, his license for good. I don't. A lot of previous pilots who have been involved in crashes actually become huge proponents for safety. One of the biggest examples of which is... Captain Sullenberger. Yep. Sully. Sully. Yeah. Sully. That's all he does now is speak about aviation safety. That's his entire job. Granted, his incident went pretty well. And it was not his fault. No. In any sense of the word. But that's what a lot of accident pilots end up doing. I see. Is studying and becoming a huge proponent for safety because they were put in a circumstance or put themselves in a circumstance in which... That meant life or death. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Continue. Yeah. Thank you. Anyways. That's the Farnsboro. I don't know the what year. 1984 Farnborough. 1984 Farnborough <laughs> Air Show crash. Crash. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks, Helen, for continuing to ask for uh, air show accidents. Yes. Air show accidents are almost worse. Yes. Than and like normal accidents. And there's a lot more video footage of these. Yup. And they're they're really they they cover some very different stuff that we don't talk about. Too. This is one I actually don't think I've seen before. Yeah, this in particular, no. 
And talking about Stoll, we never talk about Stoll, short takeoff and landing. No. We've talked about it in the past, but very, very briefly. But this is truly, that was the whole point. Would you yeah. say that this aircraft is more capable than a PC-12 for Stoll's? No. No. But this How aircraft- How short of a landing can a PC-12 make? A PC-12 is capable of landing and taking off in no more than 2,700 feet. To be fair, a PC-12 is tiny. It is. It's small. It's smaller than this airplane. That's the whole thing. I know, but- that's like fully loaded. That's what I'm aware of as the epitome of Stoll mm -hmm. is a PC-12. Mm -hmm. Well, there's much more like Stoll type aircraft than that because there's the Stoll competitions, which primarily happen in Alaska. That makes sense. That checks out. That checks out. They yeah. do it with, you know, they pick a day where there's got like constant headwinds and they do it usually in Juneau. And it's pretty spectacular, actually. It's pretty cool. But little these little Stoll aircraft, which are almost always tail draggers, these little Stoll aircraft can take off in like a foot. What? And land in a foot. I will pull up those videos in the post episode too because they are spectacular. If you've never pulled these up, just YouTube stole competition and you will stun yourself. Okay. I will pull this up in the post episode. Anyway, thank you for attending. Thanks. Virtually. Yes. Thank you for listening. We do appreciate it. Here comes my weekly spiel. Spiel on how you should definitely check out the Patreon. Because there's cool stuff on there. And we're going to have like a bunch of conversations and stuffy stuffs about stuffs. About stuffs. Air show stuffs. <laughs> air show stuffs. Stole stuffs. Other stuffs. So you should definitely like check it out. We talk about everything on the post episodes. I know we've talked about Literally this in the past. Everything. If you have no idea, we don't just talk about aviation stuff on the post episode. We actually mostly don't talk about aviation stuff on the post episodes. <laughs> we talk about literally everything. We dump in the post episodes about everything happening in life, about things that are happening in time. So it'll be interesting snapshot, too, of of history. Yes. To go back and listen to these things, like how things were happening in real time. But yeah. So you should definitely go check it out. There's blooper reel content. There's Miranda Sode content. It's quality content. There's more stuff on Patreon than there is just out in the public space. Yep. So go find it. Almost double. Yep. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Because the post episodes are... Yeah, one-to-one. One-to-one. And then you have the Miranda-sodes and the post-Miranda-sodes. Right. And then and the then blooper reels. The blooper reels. And then you have... There's just so many things. There's aviation stories and all that stuff, too. So, so many things. Check it out, yo. There's mini-sodes. There are mini-sodes. There will be more mini-sodes eventually someday. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever I have time for that one. Whenever we all have time for that one. Yeah, I don't know when that's going to happen. I found a breakdown of the Paris Air Show, so we're going to go through that. Cool. Okay. Well, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate it. We hope you have a safe and healthy week. We'll catch you all next week. Keep your speed up. Please like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hard Landings Podcast and on Twitter at Hard Landings Pod. Subscribe and leave a five-star review on the platform you are using to listen. If you would like to see photos and sources for this episode, please visit us at hardlandingspodcast.com where you can also leave us feedback and ask questions. This episode was researched and written by Nick and Christy and edited by the lovely Paige. Our theme song was written by Miranda and performed by all three of us plus Leo. And our logo is by Naomi. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.